Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. Sadly, no Kaylin Kayla this week, but after another disrupted COVID week of NFL, there's plenty to discuss off the back of week four and look forward to in week five. Coming up on the show today, Bill O'Brien, the GM, the head coach, the now unemployed. Uh, we'll be discussing that decision in Houston. We'll be giving our good, bad and the ugly from this week in the NFL. Talking about the handling of COVID as well and giving our likes, dislikes and unsung heroes. No Kalen, as I said this week, but still joined by a powerhouse pairing of Matthew Sherry and Simon Clancy. Matthew, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, mate. I'm still a little bit frustrated about last night, but I'm largely good. Uh, we will get on to that, I'm absolutely sure. Simon, how are you, sir? Very well. Even better that I was described as one half of a powerhouse pairing. Yeah. I mean, and I would say the top half as well of the oh, powerhouse mate. pairing. The front uh, of the horse rather than the ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very much so. But it does. I mean, you have to be respectful to your, to your elders, especially when they are such, <laughs> such elders. <laughs> Uh, it does suggest the pantomime nature of this relationship as well, which makes show. it the perfect analogy. Well done, everyone. Uh, let's start off with the good then of the good, the bad and the ugly. And the best thing that Houston Texans fans could have had happen to them in the NFL. Bill O'Brien, the coach, has been fired. Bill O'Brien, the GM, has been fired as well. But they didn't celebrate that particular role on Twitter when they thanked him. Uh, look, since being 24-0 and up against Kansas City... In January, they've lost five straight. They've conceded 35 points a game. Yes, they have had a ridiculously tough schedule in that time, but with also the criticism of what he's done in the front office as well, it might be early, but it feels like it's inevitable. Yeah, yes. I mean, Sai's been calling for this for, for like, basically since his <laughs> second since year. Matthew, you, you used to defend Bill O'Brien as the coach, at least. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, he did, a, he did a, I think, a very good job in the early years with bad quarterbacks. Now, you could argue that the problem all along was his ability to evaluate these players. The Brock Osweiler move was very much driven by Bill O'Brien, and that didn't work out. And then, you know, I think this is a failure, a colossal failure in, in management. Now, understandable to a degree in that the principal owner of the team has passed away in the, in the not-too-distant past, but ultimately... There is no way he should ever have been allowed to have personnel control, and that and that really is what the disaster has been here. You know, it's been comical mismanagement of that side of things since he's been allowed to do it, and and for them to allow him to make some of the decisions he's made, which let's be honest, were out there, and then get rid of him four games into a season a year later is is just astonishingly bad. It's really troubling actually to see where they go from here. They've got a guy who was the Patriots' character coach. He was the pastor, the same pastor, yeah, who has somehow running football operations. And from what I can tell, has very much engineered himself into that situation. Um, so if he's going to be running the show in the future, I really fear for for what it looks like for, for that franchise and ultimately for Deshaun Watson, who I think we all love and, and would like to see the, the best for him. Everyone in Houston gets to know that Jesus is now at the wheel, which surely means an improvement from the 0-4 record. You meant, look, you mentioned the GM decisions, the front office decisions, and obviously the DeAndre Hopkins trade was hugely derided this summer. But I think potentially even more interesting to me, Simon, is that Laramie Tunsil trade, which 
you could argue Laramie Tunsil is a top five left tackle in the NFL, and yet Deshaun Watson's still getting pressured on 30% of dropbacks. He's got uh, the highest sack percentage based on dropbacks in the entire NFL. That's been a clear problem for two years. He tried to make a move to fix it. Surely we should at least applaud that he tried to do something. Yes. My understanding is that the Dolphins loved Laramie Tunsil, but felt that Laramie Tunsil was essentially one island and the the offensive line wasn't a cohesive unit because Tunsil was so good he was essentially just blocking on his own one on one the entire time whereas the rest of the group were essentially four I'm just watching you stroking a cat wheel which is putting me off which was essentially it's four people plus one and I wonder whether or not there's a sense that that's happening in Houston as well there's not doesn't seem to be a sort of a, a cognitive unit there I mean, O'Brien, to me, has no legs to stand on. I feel he was, you know, so out of his depth. I mean, I thought he was out of his depth as a coach, frankly, but so out of his depth as a general manager. And you look, highest payroll in football at $248 million. They're $6 million over the cap already. They traded Jadavion Clowney and DeAndre Hopkins for essentially not a great deal. They have no first-round pick next year. They have no second-round pick. They only have four picks in total in 2021, and he was 54 and 52 as a head coach during his tenure, including the playoffs. Uh, with a franchise quarterback, a franchise left tackle, a number one wide receiver, two, three, if you count Whitney Merciless, you know, fantastic defensive ends, first round picks in the secondary. It can't just be the product that's on the field. It's got to be the way that, that he's coached. The interesting thing that Matt said about Jack Easterby, who's the, the pastor made good, who was essentially, you know, feels like he's building his own statue outside ARG Stadium at the moment because he's that important now. Um, you know, very close with Josh McDaniels. Is this time that Josh McDaniels finally leaves New England? The fact that he would go to work with a friend in Houston with a quarterback like Deshaun Watson? Or is this Dabo Sweeney, who's also very close? I can't for the life of me see A, why Sweeney would leave Clemson and B, why if he did, why he would go to any other team than the team that has Trevor Lawrence. But it throws up some interesting uh, issues moving forwards. One thing I always pick out from the book is that the great teams generally have great offensive lines. Now, that is not necessarily one standout player. They're generally a great unit. And there's a difference between building a great offensive line and having a great left tackle, ultimately. Which book was um, that, sorry? Um, it's and also, Any Given Sunday. <laughs> and also just it's out to, now, it's uh, available now. But I just don't understand if you're not going there if you've not got a reason to go there because of that personal connection like you were talking about with McDaniels yes you've got a franchise quarterback but not having those first two picks being in Miami immediately restricts what you can do with rebuilding that team next year JJ Watt is getting to a point where it feels Crazy like the roster. injuries just carry over too much and and he's taken up a huge amount of cap space and a huge amount of the cost of that defense and we've said it about the Texans for years they are a top-heavy team who, the moment they lose those players, look very thin and don't do that well against the top side. So it's not necessarily as great a job as a job where you're getting Deshaun Watson should be. Uh, let's move on to our other goods from this week. And let's talk about the Cleveland Browns. They nearly, very nearly found a way to throw it away against the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott putting up 500 yards. I saw a stat that Dak Prescott is on... Uh, what no quarterbacks thrown for what more than fifty five hundred yards in a season, and Dak Prescott is currently on pace for sixty five hundred yards this year. So that's not sustainable in any way, shape, or form. But 
Cleveland, all in all, they look like a viable football team, which is not something we've been able to say a huge amount of late. I think a lot of credit goes to Kevin Stefanski as well. You know, he seems to have... Culture is such a weird word when you're dealing with 53 players, plus a practice squad, plus all those coaches, plus all that. But, you know, it was clear that something was wrong last year, quite apart from the coaching with Freddie Kitchens, which was pretty bad in itself. But it feels like he's got Baker Mayfield under control. He's playing within himself. And it's one week, but... Is this the Odell Beckham that we're going to see moving forward? The Odell Beckham that everybody wants to see? Because, you know, when he's playing the way he did at the weekend, he lights up the, the NFL. What's interesting for me is that they're 3-1 and one for the first time since 1999. I think it's Tim Couch was quarterback. And 30 points plus in the last three games, the first time in 29 years. They really do have the talent. We saw Nick Chubb go down. They brought in the undrafted free agent to back up Kareem Hunt. He had a big game, ripped off a big run on his first carry. Beckham's playing well. They've got the tight end there. The offensive line's gelling. Jedrick Wills is playing well. Jarvis Landry catching balls. You know, the talent is there. They've just got to get... It almost feels like a mental hump of so many years of of indifference. But it does feel like... And I wasn't, I wasn't sold on Kevin Stefanski, but it does feel like certainly the, through the first quarter of the season, he's got this team definitely arrow up. And it's also throwing passes from Jarvis Landry, yeah. who said that he had to put so much into that deep ball that he threw a one-yard pass in practice today and he felt like he'd pitched nine innings. <laughs> so uh, that's not going to be one they're going to be using too often, I don't think. It was think. a great throw. Uh, look, Matthew, I think that that idea of culture is important, but I, the scheme has been really good as well. Not just the talent that's there. They've actually schemed well. I guess the Cowboys' defence that, let's be honest, look like they might be one of the worst in the NFL this year. Yeah, and I mean, the interesting part is Beckham to me in terms of the scheme because I think he, that illustrates really what a good job Stefanski's doing. The thing that's always confused me with Beckham, I always remember him playing the Patriots when he was at his very best and he took a slant to the house for like a 70, 80-yard touchdown. And it summed up how dangerous Beckham was. And he's a different type of receiver to, you know, a Stefan Diggs where he's just a brilliant route runner and you just let him go and he's going to get open. Different to a Julio Jones where you know you can just throw it up and he'll catch anything or a new Hopkins. This is a guy where you need to work to get the ball into his hands, but when you do, a little bit like a Tyreek Hill, he can turn five yards into 80 yards because he's so explosive with the ball in his hands. So that was exciting to see them manufacturing ways to get him the ball in his hands and it worked out. The one thing I would caution on, is their defence looks astonishingly bad for one that is as talented as it is. You know, watch a bit of Cleveland closely this week, actually. I don't think anybody in football is playing as well as Miles Garrett. He's right up there, top three, five players in, in football at the moment, yet their defence looks hopeless. So that needs to improve. But yeah, I mean, you know how big I am on culture generally, Will, and, and I think Stefanski's off to a great start. The Colts and the Steelers up for the Browns over the next two games, so some proper tests coming up over the And those next are great defences, so that's that's a test. Exactly. That is a real test. Exactly. And let's talk about our other big up arrow of the week, rookie quarterbacks. Not only does it sound like we might be seeing a bit of Tua Tungavailoa in Miami after some uh, less than clear comments from uh, the head coach there, uh, old B-Flow. But Joe Burrow gets his first win in the NFL. Justin Herbert goes for a shootout with Tom Brady and it takes Tom Brady hitting five touchdowns, becoming the oldest quarterback to do that in order to beat him. Those top two guys of the three and hopefully we'll see the third are, are living up to, if not exceeding expectations. I think Burrow's been exceptional actually because I just don't think he's, I often don't think he's put in into position to succeed and, and actually 
the Bengals have had a chance of winning multiple games this year, largely because of him. I, I mean, everything I saw from him at LSU was just translated immediately, and that's so impressive. I, I guess the question with Burrow would have been, does it happen without Joe Brady, who, as we're seeing, is doing a great job in Carolina at the moment? And it has. He, he looks exceptional. So he's been great. Herbert has, has surprised me as well, and, and I'll let Cy talk more about him because I know he had doubts about him. I had doubts as well because... Uh, much as I love old white head coaches, I hate tall white quarterback prospects because <laughs> generally they get overdrafted quite dramatically. The worry with Herbert is his ability in the big, big moments. And I would worry about his late pick, which reminded me a bit of the Kansas City one that he threw. But ultimately, he went up and down the field against Tom Brady and and he was exceptional that the 78-yard touchdown was a Mahomes-esque play. So yeah, I mean, I think they're off to a great start. And a good Bucks defense is the other key of that. We say against Tom Brady, and obviously that's the exciting matchup. Twenty-one years between them, lots of stats to throw out. But the Bucks defense had looked really good up until this week. They still had some good plays in this game, but he put thirty-one points on them. Sorry. Uh, a defense you would expect to be kryptonite for a young Format. quarterback as well. Like I mean, this is a three-person podcast. No, mate. but <laughs> <laughs> this is. This is so true, and I apologise. But you, you would expect the Bucks zone defence, looking at the quarterback all the time, extremely fast to be kryptonite for a quarter, young quarterback, and he did really well. Sai? Are you sure, buddy? Yeah, please, mate. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm I aware mean, I said I'd let Sai talk about Herbert and then spent two minutes talking about Herbert. It was noted. My issue with Herbert coming out was no dispute about his talent. His arm talent was outstanding. For me, it was mentally, and the second thing was he never won the big game. Countless opportunities as a four-year starter at Corvallis for him to win the big game, and he really didn't do it until the Rose Bowl. And really, he did that with his legs. He didn't do that with his arm. You know, so trying to get across the line in big games is definitely a concern for me. And also, just he was so inconsistent. And I think, you know, I've certainly, and I think Matthew's the same. We've chosen two quarterback hills to die on. One being Josh Allen, and that seems to be decimated quicker than you could say MVP candidate. And Justin Herbert was the other one. And to be completely fair to Herbert, he's making us look pretty foolish at the moment. Certainly me, pretty foolish. Whether that manifests itself with wins through the season, whether that manifests itself with improvement through the season, we'll see. But I think the most important thing is that, and we could call it the Tom Brady rule, but there is no way now that Anthony Lynn could ever put Tyrod Taylor back in as starting quarterback of the Chargers, unless something dramatically bad happens with Herbert over the next few weeks. But the way he's playing, it would be there would be a mutiny, I think, both amongst the fan base, but probably more importantly amongst the the players. As for Burrow, 116 completions in his in his first four games is the most ever by a quarterback. And as Matt said uh, so succinctly for 10 minutes when nobody else spoke, you know he's been able to carry on his performances from from LSU which I think has been the most impressive thing because, you know, you are not playing with the same talent and you're not being coached by the same coaches. And I think he's, you know, he's done exceptionally. As we get ready to move on to the bad of the week, I will rain on those two parades ever so slightly, but not because of the quality of the quarterback play, because of the quality of the coaching. How it's taken Zach Taylor until halfway through the fourth game of the season to remember that in Joe Mixon, they have an absolute superstar who they can help build that offense around and take some pressure off Burrow. They looked so much better from that perspective in the second half against the Jags this week, and hopefully they can continue that. And Anthony Lynn, please, please... Let Justin Herbert throw it on first down. Just once. 
Just please do something I'll take a, I'll take a knee at the end of the half instead of handing yeah. it off to the running back and allowing yeah. them back into the game. Yeah. I really like Anthony Lynn, but he's had a terrible four weeks. Yeah, yeah, that was obviously a very specific and obvious play to highlight. But just in general, it is run it on first down. If we get four yards, run it again, then maybe throw it. I want to see him given the opportunity to sling it a bit. I want to see him given the opportunity to throw it against a defence that's primed for the run. They're going up against the Saints this week, and we know from a scheming perspective, that's a very good coaching staff. So I want to see Anthony Lynn give him an opportunity to do something a bit outside of only throwing it if they're in second and six and longer, because that seems to be what the situation has been over the last couple of weeks. As for the other rookie quarterbacks, I think Tua's time is coming. I don't think it'll be quite yet. Jordan Love might never, ever put on a Green Bay uniform ever again. I mean, ever. <laughs> I mean, he may never, ever take a snap as a Green Bay Packer. But as funny as that is, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers is, is 1B to Russell Wilson's 1A in the MVP race, nobody's playing better than Aaron Rodgers, apart from Russell Wilson. I, th- I, I think after this week, and it is a 1A, 1B thing, but I think after week four right now, Rodgers, Wilson, Mahomes for me, because Rodgers has been good in all four games. Wilson Mahomes has been good was absolutely dreadful games. last night, though. I, exactly, I think, which is why he slipped to third. Three, three picks he, he essentially threw, one of which was actually picked. We'll get to it, we'll get to it. Don't you worry, Shez. You can see how well, mad. It was a good week. See how mad he is when you said Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> see how mad he is when I say that I would go one Wilson, two Rogers, three Allen. <laughs> right. Let's say let's say, go from rookie quarterbacks who had a very good week to backup quarterbacks who had a very bad week. Brian Hoyer, the face that you are pulling. I mean, I obviously feel very similar about Nick Mullins, and I'll just get this one out of the way now. It's a game which the 49ers on several occasions had in hand, and Nick Mullins proved why, while Jimmy Garoppolo might not be a top-10 quarterback, he's certainly a viable starter comparatively because he gets the ball out quickly. The Alex Singleton pick was one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen in my entire life. Ever. One of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. But the two missed throws, particularly the one to Carl Juszczyk, who was wide open for a touchdown yeah. right at the beginning of the game, <laughs> were some of the worst missed throws I've yeah. ever seen in my life. Like, a genuine conversation that anyone on this call may have been able to have made that throw. Certainly done a better job than yeah. Mullins. We had Nick Foles having a bad week. We had Brian Hoyer having a bad week. I'm, I'll come to you on Hoyer, Matthew, and then Simon, I'll come to you on Foles and others if you want. I'll, I'll speak to I you in like 20 Matthew minutes, guys. Some room to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand why Hoyer played because of the circumstances. They found out on Saturday that somebody else was going to have to play. So, you know, the sensible move was to let the veteran play. The whole point of Brian Hoyer playing is that he doesn't turn the ball over and doesn't do, pardon my French, stupid shit like what he did in the red zone twice. And it's just so frustrating. And also, because I think I really want to see what Jared Stidham can do. I mean, and, and, you know, I thought there was some promising signs through it. Bad interception with pressure in his face. I think he got overly criticised for it, given the circumstances of the game. Doesn't help that Julian Edelman's forgotten how to catch. Most so, drops yeah. in the NFL since the start of 2018. Yeah, I mean, do you know what's interesting, though? How much was Cam Newton the plan all along? Because if he wasn't and Stidham isn't any good, this could have been an absolute disaster for Belichick and the Patriots, which I'm sure people would have loved. The final thing I'm going to say is if the Patriots can play defence like that and have that many DBs on the field and stop the run as effectively as they did, watch out. 
Yeah, we're talking about uh, backup quarterbacks, though, mate. Simon? Yeah, but a good way of segueing it into the talking about how good the Patriots are in your own head. I would say that, I mean, I think, you know, anybody that thought that either Nick Mullins or CJ Bethard were, uh, you know, going to pressurise Jimmy Garoppolo as the starter died in uh, in that game because that was absolutely horrendous performance from, from Mullins. And actually, Bethard played all right, albeit against... Uh, a defence that allowed all those underneath catches. And, and by the way, George Kittle is an astonishing, an astonishing football player. To be the best tight end as a receiver and the best tight end as a blocker and probably the best tight end as a personality in the NFL, he ticks every single box. So you just love that guy. The interesting thing for me is Nick Foles, Mitchell Trubisky, Chicago, because we all, you know, take the mickey out of the Trubisky situation. We all like Nick Foles. We all, you know, I know Matthew is... Um, big enough to appreciate what what Foles did albeit against his team in that Super Bowl because yep. it was an amazing performance but you know, Nick Foles off the bench is a very different proposition to Nick Foles starting and the Bears now find themselves in a situation with which Mitch Trubisky is 3-0 and albeit the worst 3-0 and team of all time as we discussed last week Nick Foles is 0-1 and it looked pretty damn ugly I do not know how the Bears move forwards. I mean, if you are, I think you've got to pick a guy now if you're Matt Nagy and you've got to ride with him right, you know come hell or high water I think I suspect that will be false. I just cannot see a scenario where they go back to Trubisky. Maybe they give themselves one more week's latitude and see how false is this week. But I think they have to pick a guy. They can't keep jumping back and forth. But yeah, backup quarterback's just not a good look in week four. I have a, I have a solution Foles. to the Chicago issue. Is it the same solution I have? Uh, maybe. In the 50s. Three, two, one. Fire Matt Nagy. Oh, no, that wasn't your solution. Because the play calling was atrocious yesterday or Sunday or whenever it was now. And so as much as Nick Foles didn't play well, he was not put in a position to play well at any point during that game. Anyway, sorry, Matthew. Your solution sounds like it's related to your book. The 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 Patriots. Charlie Connolly was the Giants quarterback and Vince Lombardi was his OC. And every series they used to put the backup in for every game for the first series of the game. And the idea was for him to watch what the defence did and react from the sideline and then go in. So it was very odd. But ultimately, given Nick Foles works so well as a deputy and not as a starter, it could be a great solution here to let Trubisky have the first series of every game and Nick Foles play thereafter. Right, let's uh, move on. Uh, in fact, we'll stick. We've got one more bad that we need to get to, and it's another hill which we've died on on a few previous occasions and taken some real stick from Arizona Cardinals fans <laughs> for dying on it. But three... Point four yards per attempt through the air. How can a quarterback have over 24 completions and throw for 133 yards? Absolutely ridiculous. When you've got now four viable wide receivers and seemingly a decent running game, although Kenyon Drake might be dropped this week by the sounds of it, the Cliff Kingsbury offense is not working, despite a quarterback that can make plays. It's almost like we told you so. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> It, and it didn't work for a lot of last season as well. This is what got forgotten in the hype train off-season. And also, Cliff Kingsbury throughout his career has always overseen diabolical defences. Now, you can blame the coordinator or you can blame the man who's in charge and meant to be the head coach. And it's a continuation of what we saw. I just... I think there are a couple of pieces to this. One, Kingsbury is as overrated and overpromoted as ever. But I also think Kyler Murray is quite overrated in the public consciousness I've seen lots of people talk about him as a top 5 top 10 quarterback not on the evidence of anything we've seen in the NFL now I think Kyler Murray is a talent could become that but I don't think it'll happen in this offence so I think it's holding him back but I think generally you know that hype train when they were started 2-0 was enormous but they've lost two teams who 
they just have no business losing to in terms of talent on the field. Like Arizona have a lot of talent now. They've got on defense, they've got Chandler Jones and and Patrick Peterson plus Isaiah Simmons, who is being used as badly as we thought he was the day after the draft, which is a huge concern. And then just look at their offense. I mean, there's there's a lot of talented pieces on that. And yeah, I mean, it's going about how I expected it to last year. Just I don't think the offense works, and I think that you're always going to have a shambolic defense with Cliff Kingsbury as your coach. Yeah, I think all the goodwill that Kingsbury built up over the first two weeks of the season have been erased following this pretty horrendous stretch of play. Maybe week three was the mulligan, but if you're a Cardinals fan, week four was was unacceptable. And what I think for all of that kind of revolutionary offense that people talked about that he was bringing to the NFL, they have reached 30 points only three times in 20 games. And I think that tells you an awful lot, considering the talent, especially at wide receiver, that they've got when you look at Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitz, DeAndre Hopkins, Kenyon Drake is great out of the backfield. A lot of that comes down to coaching. And I just don't think Cliff Kingsbury is a very good coach. Yeah. I mean, there's the swing passes that you saw yeah. on virtually every every player. Then there's the their running players start eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. It's the NFL. The defences are too fast for this stuff. It just doesn't work. And now they're going to play Isaiah Simmons at safety because they're injured. So, you know... Right, let's uh, let's get into some of the ugly from this week. We've already talked about Bill O'Brien in quite a lot of depth. The GM, Bill O'Brien, deserves to be on the ugly list for this week. What about Atlanta's offence? Atlanta's incredibly stacked offence when you look at just exactly where they've taken these players in the draft. Extraordinary. 10 out of 11 starters, all in the first round. You look on the other side of the ball, Aaron Rodgers has thrown one touchdown pass in his career to a first rounder. That's Mercedes Lewis last year in 2019. I mean, that pretty much tells you all that you need to know. We talked about this last week. I think Matt Ryan's time in Atlanta is coming to an end. You are now 0-4. Make a sensible decision, Thomas Dimitrov, who is a good GM and a good person. I think Dan Quinn is a really good person. Trade Matt Ryan, get what you can. The word tank the season doesn't exist because you you could never get professional athletes who are literally putting their lives on the line to do their profession each week to lose on purpose. But there are ways of managing decline, should we call it, that I think the Falcons could could go down. And you find yourself in a position to get Trevor Lawrence, a Georgia kid, Justin Fields, a Georgia kid, Trey Lance, you know, whichever quarterback takes your fancy and pick up extra picks from getting rid of people like Julio Jones. You could trade Julio Jones, you know, New England, uh, Green Bay. You know, look at the Packers last night. They, they essentially put Aaron Jones to, to wide receiver because they were so bereft of talent at, at that position. So get rid of good players, stack up on draft picks, and retool. It doesn't take very long. Teams have proven that it doesn't take very long to do. You probably need a new head coach. Maybe you need a new GM, but that offense is just putrid. They just couldn't move the ball. They couldn't protect last night. The Smith boys, especially Zadarius, was just eating up both outside and inside. You know, they'd rush him from some of those um, amoeba looks where he'd rush from inside at the defensive tackle position. He was just destroying people. You know, rip it up and start again. It's not good enough. Matthew, do you want to come in on that at all? I feel like it was pretty comprehensive, so I might just turn to yep. you for Dallas's defense. Uh, we mentioned it in passing earlier, but as much as uh, if you've got a quarterback who is putting up 500 yards, and maybe we're not putting him into that top three conversation we were having, but certainly if they turn things around from a record perspective, should be in the MVP conversation based on how he's bailing this team out. On the opposite side of the ball, Dallas have been woeful. Yeah, shambolic. I mean, and I've quite liked Mike Nolan at points, but his scheme has always been incredibly complex. And that's why there was a spell when Mike Nolan was at his best, which I think is the, the wider point here, which was probably a decade ago. 
where he, more than anybody, did a really good job against Manning and Brady because he was very good at disguising coverages and he could make life difficult. It just isn't working. I mean, I'd love to know what Mike McCarthy did in this 12 months in his bunker because I've not seen anything <laughs> that suggests... He's had an, an offensive coordinator who, similarly, I think, slightly overrated in Kellen Moore and what he's done in, in a year and a bit, kind of put on his lap. He's got a lot of kind of these all-timers in with him. It's just been disastrous. I mean, they're a miracle win not happen away from being 0-4, and, and, and it's it's ludicrous, you know. And McCarthy's defending the defence after the game and saying we're, we're not going to be a two-call defence, which is clearly harkening back to, you know, the Rod Marinelli cover two and, and Dallas being a bit predictable. It was a damn sight better than what we're seeing right now. And right now, Dallas needs to just essentially find one or two things that they're good at on defence and, and work on those and then start to implement new things over the coming weeks. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Nolan gets fired if they have another week like this. We've seen Jerry step in and do that before with coordinators. But just generally, I mean this whole McCarthy era looks like being a disaster. I mean, there's nothing to suggest that he's learned anything from how it ended at Green Bay. It's been diabolical, and they're too talented for this. I mean, their offense is staggeringly talented. Like, you know, if you think that it's a talent issue on defense, then trade one of the offensive weapons. You'll get you'll get a second-round pick easily for Michael Gallup, which you could probably afford to do now with Amari and C.D. Lamb looking so good. So do that, you know. Dallas need to think about this because... The reality is there's a huge amount of talent on that team. The division is so shambolic that they should still win it. And that gives you a chance at the end of the year. But don't be surprised to see them active in trade markets in the next few weeks and also potentially some changes on, on a new coach and staff as well. I will just say this. They have given up 146 points in four games, which is the most in NFL history. The Browns had 307 yards rushing. And their 35.6 points per game, which they're giving up, is not only the worst in Dallas history it is the worst in NFL history the second worst was the New York Giants of 1966 that tells you I mean that that is an absolute embarrassment I mean up next is the New York Giants for them so a chance for them to get healthy on that side of the ball and then it's the gridiron ugly bowl which sees the Cliff Kingsbury offense going up against the Cowboys defense so if through those two games plus Washington coming up as well if through those three games their defense can't figure it out then they are in real real trouble if they think they're in any way a contender this year right we're going to get to our likes our dislikes and our unsung heroes of the last week Uh, I will come to you Matthew first for what you've liked this week we've not mentioned on the show the Indianapolis Colts I mean <laughs> I, I, I think they are close to being the best team in the NFL and did you read uh, the WhatsApp group out of interest unbelievable I mean literally no. unbelievable yeah I literally said my like this week is going to be the Colts defense to which Simon said well that oh, was my sorry. like <laughs> no no if no I'm, it's fine if let's I was, just talk if about I was getting, how much we love the Colts defense if I was getting married I'd put the the wedding dress out on the foot and Matt would just run along and trample all over it <laughs> No, let's talk about it. Let's, right, let's make it all of our likes because the Colts defence, Matt Eberflus, 29 points through the last three weeks. Uh, Matthew feels like he's going to talk about the Colts in general, but I think we can have it as a United like this week. DeForest Buckner, sensational. Xavier Rhodes, a complete career renaissance. Darius Leonard, the most underrated player in the, in the AFC. I mean, doesn't get talked about nearly as much as, he, as his talent deserves. I just think their the defense is playing absolutely outstanding. I know Matt doesn't like Matt Eberflus because he's young and white. You know they're first in in yards allowed per play at just four point four, which sounds like a Cliff Kingsbury deep ball. But yeah, I think uh, that defense is that defense is superb. 
on that point as well, you said Darius Leonard, groin injury this week. They've got to hope that's minor because they do have Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers. Dare I even mention Ryan Tannehill and that uh, Titans offense all on the horizon over the next few weeks. Um, And not just Darius Leonard, but uh, Bobby Okereke next to him at linebacker, I thought looked brilliant this weekend. Julian Blackman making plays on the back end, the rookie coming in alongside the likes of Xavier Rhodes, etc. It's every level they've been so impressive. Yeah, and, and, and it goes to the top as well, doesn't it? They've got the, one of the best talent evaluators in the league who's done a brilliant job in Chris Ballard. Xavier Rhodes is playing great football, you know, and, and we've seen this now for basically ever since he got there, Ballard, they'll do this and, and these players will play really well for them. I think Jabal Sheard was another one a couple of years ago. And, and then I can't say enough good things about Frank Reich. If the Colts end up being really good and winning a Super Bowl, it should never be forgotten that on the eve of a season, they lost one of the NFL's best quarterbacks to a shock retirement. I mean, you know, last season didn't go as expected in the second half of the year, but think about what they, what them two, as kind of the two power brokers, have had to go through in this run. And the roster that they've built is a credit to them. And, and honestly, I think, you know, that Jags loss in week one, you have odd results in week one. They dominated that game and should have won. But they're just a very, very good football team. And right there for me with with the best in the AFC. The AFC is absolutely loaded this year. Should we get on to our dislikes then? Uh, I'll come to you first, Simon, just to make sure Matthew doesn't steal it. Matt, do you want to go anyway? Just trample on it? No? You've probably got the same one as me anyway. Probably copy. Steve Levy, <laughs> the Monday Night Football commentator, is having an absolute car crash to the start of the season. He misidentifies players... I mean, either he doesn't have a spotter or a spotter is Stevie Wonder. He misidentifies players <laughs> on such an incredible level. Robert Tonyan scored the third touchdown last night and he said it was the wide receiver that had come in uh, off the practice squad. Robert mm-hmm. Tonyan is six foot five and white. The receiver that Stevie... And, and it was his third touchdown of the day. Yes. Like, you should have figured out who that is by now. And also, Tonya was about wide open by about 20 yards. So how he could not see who'd caught the ball and scored a touchdown. But that wasn't even... I mean, he called Robert Tonya the wrong name. Persistently bad play-by-play announcing. Getting people's names wrong, down and distance wrong. Things that had happened wrong. Uh, Matt Ryan threw a pass uh, into the end zone, which fell incomplete. And as he released the ball, Steve Levy went, Rogers for the end zone! And it was just like, mate... <laughs> That's Matt Ryan, dude. What's going on? It's an absolute, it's a car crash. I mean, Lewis Riddick is really good, but it's a car crash. How can they not get it right? It's astonishing. Genuinely astonishing. Matthew? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to pick from, but I'm going to go with Matt Patricia and the Detroit Lions. When you think about the firing of of Jim Caldwell for, for repeatedly winning nine games to where they've gone in this Patricia era, it's... It's an absolute disaster. And 14 nothing up in this game, and by the time you blinked, they were, they were down heavy and had no chance of winning. It's like, how does that happen so consistently against an offence in the Saints that is traditionally very good, but let's be honest, has struggled in every game that they've played this season? And, you know, the big thing for me as a Patriots fan is please don't come back, Matt, because I've seen that defence, the frustration of, of never trying to have interesting pressure packages and all that kind of stuff. It's just grim, dreadful. Feel for the Lions. I mean, what a what a desperate, desperate franchise the Lions are. And it just, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I think it's all fair. My one is, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, the NFL's handling of COVID in this last week. There is absolutely no chance that Patriots Chiefs should have happened last night. 
Everything we know about this virus suggests that there is a, at least a four to five day incubation period, meaning that even though they've added on to the protocols now that the NFL should be testing on the day of games, which, by the way, they only added in after they didn't do it for the Titans and missed the opportunity to catch it before they played that game. The fact that the Vikings have not had any positive tests is near miraculous. I think they got incredibly lucky with the fact that the Falcons didn't have any other positive tests after their corner, tested positive very close to a game. And the level of hubris to basically say, our protocols have been perfect, so we're going to start taking away draft picks and putting big fines on teams if games have to be moved. Just Cam Newton has had the highest contact of anyone that they've had test positive so far so much so that they had to put on a separate plane of people to take them to kansas city of people that had been in that contact tracing with cam newton he is the quarterback he is in the huddle he's in so many meetings there is every reason that he could have passed that on and if we get a raft of patriots positives over the next three days the nfl is in real real trouble over this they should have built in some kind of bumper into the season itself already that we knew existed there they've told us that they've got things in place and i'm sure that they will figure that out but i just find the way that that whole situation in recent days has been handled to be farcical and if if they get away with it through the cam newton situation they have not only been insanely lucky that he's not passed it on to anyone else but on top of the fact that they've been so lucky with the scheduling over that Steelers-Titans game as well, which, by the way, puts the Steelers in an incredibly difficult position for the early bye when they're on a 3-0 and run and then having to face the Ravens off the back of the Ravens having a bye week on top of that, which wasn't going to be the case previously. Just the whole thing could have been handled so much better, and I think it's hubris on the NFL's part that they've done it in the way they have. And I, I just... I think there is an almighty fall coming unless they're very lucky in the coming weeks. Uh, who, who thought it was uh, funny that Isaiah Wilson, the Titans' absolute disaster of a first-round pick, who'd already been on the COVID list twice, had been arrested for a DUI, uh, had been suspended internally by the team, also was one of the players who went down with coronavirus. <laughs> well done, mate. You're having a cracking rookie year, fella. Good start. Right, let's do our, uh, our unsung heroes now. I've got that off my chest. Matthew, your unsung hero for week four. Uh, I'm going to give Liam Blackburn the love for pointing this out as we were putting the, the last bit of the magazine together. But Bill Callahan is, of course, the Cleveland Browns offensive line coach, which explains why they're rushing for 300 yards, because he's just done this everywhere he's ever been, hasn't he? Like, just the an incredible... Like, he is right there, like take the, the mantle of that brilliant old offensive line coach that Dante Scarnecchia was, just a genius who basically does this everywhere he's ever been. And, yeah, that explains, as well as Stefanski, I think why Cleveland are off to such a good start. He should essentially do what, uh, what Darrell Rivas did towards the end of his career and just each year take the offer from the biggest bidder to turn around and, line and then move on. Just go one-year contract to one-year contract because it's astonishing how much of an improvement is everywhere he goes. Simon? Uh, Travis Fulgham, the Eagles wide receiver, is a guy who came uh, to... Who? Uh, yeah, came to our consciousness at Old Dominion when Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech and Fulgham had nine catches for 188 yards and a touchdown. He was a guy that we featured in the draft issue of the magazine as somebody to watch. So he took a sort of personal interest in Fulgham, and it was great to see. He was a sixth-round pick of the Lions, uh, spent the year on the practice squad, was on the Packers practice squad for 11 days, was picked up by the Eagles when they had a, a wide receiver issue with injuries, and uh, he contributed fairly big time 
against the 49ers on Monday with that big touchdown catch. Ended up with two catches, 53 yards. And he's the sort of guy, a bit like Alan Lazard, who bounces around a little bit, you know, back into the draft, who's really a hard worker, who everybody likes, and you hope that actually he'll end up catching on maybe with the Eagles as a, as a number three guy because he's got a lot of talent. He just, you know, old Dominion, you know, that's a big step up to the NFL. So well done, Travis Fulgham, a guy that we followed uh, from a distance for a while and, and coming up big time on, on Sunday Night Football. I was originally going to pick some of the uh, members of the Colts defense that we haven't talked about much previously, but uh, Matt probably would have done it. That off in some depth. Uh, <laughs> um, to pick another eagle from that game, and yes, he made the splashy play with the interception, Alex Singleton. But actually, that linebacking core is another part of their team which has been absolutely decimated through injuries. And he had a really, really good game in general on Sunday night in the Sunday night game. It was a big, big weekend uh, for guys holding. with long hair. If you look at Singleton, yeah, really Kittle, was. Tonya. Really really was uh yeah i'm gonna go alex singleton who maybe is quite highly sung because of the interception but had a brilliant game all round and you know being able to pull something out and be first in the division at one and a half games <laughs> one during through four weeks absolutely ludicrous uh boys top stuff as always go and check out the gridiron youtube channel we do have our weekly waiver wire report up there at the moment as well which i do with pete rogers uh, from fake teams matthew has a book out i don't know if Does he's he? ever mentioned it tomorrow i have nothing else to do genuinely nothing else to do for the whole day and i've already put it by my bed ready to start cracking into finally after about three weeks tomorrow so uh, i'll let you know if it's any good i've heard pretty good things uh, so go and check that out as well follow us on all the socials uk gridiron on instagram gridiron on twitter and the fine work that's being done by the guys and girls there and the next magazine is when matthew it's going to print now. It'll be out next end of next week. Kansas City Chiefs on the front. Uh, a wonderful sign-off headline. The Red Arrows. Is it as good as Brady and Red? I'm not no, sure. absolutely no. I wish I, I wish that could have been my last one. I really do. There you go. A little tease for something that's going to be discussed next week as well. Then brilliant stuff, Matthew Simon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening and watching. This has been the Gridiron Show. 